Today's episode of the Nick Taylor Horror Show is brought to you by Diabolic DVD. For almost 20 years, Diabolic DVD has been the source for horror, cult, and weird cinema to customers around the world. Diabolic offers a one-stop shopping experience for all of your favorite labels, including Arrow, Synapse, Vinegar Syndrome, Severin, Mondo Macabro, Blue Underground, 88, and many more from all corners of the globe. So whether you're looking for the definitive version of Suspiria or trying to upgrade your crusty old DVD of Cannibal Holocaust, Diabolic is the owner-operated small business choice you've been craving. Shop online at DiabolicDVD.com. That's D-I-A-B-O-L-I-K-DVD.com. We're also brought to you by Deadly Grounds Coffee. It's the number one choice of horror fans worldwide. Nothing starts your day or night better than a delicious cup of Deadly Grounds. Whether you're hunting ghosts or fighting the next zombie apocalypse, any one of Deadly's 30-plus roasts will bring you to caffeine nirvana with the richest flavor you've ever had. Whether you're craving their hellhound roast, witch's brew, devil's night roast, or sinful delight, Order online at getdeadly.com for easy and safe shipping right to your door. We know that once you go deadly, you won't go back. Join the deadly revolution today. Be bold, be different, be deadly. Deadly Grounds Coffee. Coffee to die for and zombie approved. Get some at getdeadly.com. Welcome to the Nick Taylor Horror Show. Jan Gonzalez is a French filmmaker who made his feature debut with You and the Night and followed it up with his incredible tour de force second act, Knife Plus Heart. On top of being a breath of fresh air of originality in the horror genre, I think I'll dare say that Knife Plus Heart might be one of the best, if not the best, neo-giallo movies ever made. To me, it didn't just nostalgically pay homage to the giallo genre. It modernized it, and it deeply personalized it. This movie was miraculous to me. It was hypnotic, it was scary, it was emotionally poignant, and an entirely new and different experience. And honestly, I think it was one of the best movies of last year. It really, really blew me away, which is why I was so excited to get to sit down and speak to Jan. We get into Jan's direct origin story, the importance of tapping your unconscious as a director, as well as the difficulties of establishing strong creative bonds with key collaborators, but why it is so critically important. All of this and so much more on this very wide-ranging episode of the Nick Taylor Horror Show. Now, please welcome director of Knife Plus Heart, Jan Gonzalez. Jan, good to see you. How's everything? Everything is great so far. Good, good. <laughs> I- Glad you're staying safe during this time. So was a was a huge fan of Knife Plus Heart. And um, I feel like a lot of people are comparing it to Ar- Argento movies, but I feel more Mario Bava in it. It feels more Bava to me. Is there any sort of distinction between the two directors? Where do you have, is, does, is one more stylistically meaningful to you than the other between Ar- Argento well, and Bava? I think there's a pace is, uh, is very different in uh, Bava's films and Argento films. There's something uh, more nervous in uh, Argento films that, uh, that, uh, that I think aesthetically I'm, I'm, I'm a huge fan of uh, Bava's uh, because uh, each frame is like, it's like a painting. Yeah. It's so beautifully crafted. 
uh, the lightning, uh, the, 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 the costumes, uh, the set design, everything is perfect, like in a painting. But um, what, I, what I love about Argento is that it's, it's more sexual, it's more vivid, it's more lively. Uh, I think it's more creative in terms of uh, mise-en-scene and directing, and, uh, uh, and sometimes it's ridiculous, sometimes it's sublime. Sometimes it's uh, nonsense. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think, all in all, Argento is more surprising than Bava. But uh, of course, there are two masters. But if I had to choose one, I, I would choose Argento for sure. Interesting, <laughs> interesting. Yeah, and I, I, the, the one thing I noticed, because I've seen a lot of Giallo movies in my life, and there's always, in a lot of, particularly Argento movies, there's a sense of dream logic where you have sequences uh-huh. that don't necessarily make sense as far as the story, but they're beautiful and they add tone and mood or they're disorienting for the viewer. And I felt that you did have some of that in Knife Plus Heart, but it felt very coherent, if that makes sense. From a st- It felt like there was dream logic, but it was coherent to the story. And so I'm curious as to how the, the notion of dream logic occurred to you as you were crafting this movie, or did it, or if it just naturally, if those sequences just naturally emerged. I think there are like two distinctive parts in the film. Like the first part is more uh, is more uh, nervous, and the second part is more uh, like a, like a dream, like a, uh, as you said. Uh, but the, the, the pace is more slow. Uh, there's uh, something more hazy in the yeah. image. Um, yeah, and uh, the, the logic fades away in a, in a, to, 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 to reach a, a sort of a dream state, which I, which I, which I love. But I, I know that a lot of viewers uh, didn't like it, that, 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 that second part that much. They were a bit annoyed, but I, I, I like sometimes when, um, to, me, to me, the first part of the film is like uh, when, when you go to a circus, you know, you're, uh, you're having a lot of fun with the characters, everything is moving very fast. And then I, I just wanted to take my time mm. and to uh, and to uh, get rid of the of the logic and to to to, to get rid of uh, the the narrative in a way. Uh, so this was a bit of a of a risk, and uh, I, I want I want I think I want to get further with that risk in the, the next film and to 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 uh, to embrace uh, this dream logic yeah. uh, even more. Uh, so I'm working on this, and to, to, to me, it's, you have to let your unconscious, uh, to, you have to free your, your unconscious and to, 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 to make your dreams even, uh, even, even, even more powerful, even more, even more free. So um, I think this is, um, this is a kind of a meditation to me, a meditation process. You, you just have to... Uh, uh, to sit down or to to lie down and to listen to some music that you really like, maybe to smoke something, <laughs> and then to and then to 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 start to unleash your your, your unconscious and your hidden images yeah. uh, from, from your unconscious. And to me, this is the most exciting process uh, when I'm uh, writing a movie, or or when I'm or even when the, the movie is uh, is already written. And, uh, and you have to imagine what the, the mise en scène is going to be, what the, the directing is going to be, uh, how you're going to create uh, a frame or uh, 
um, a, a cut between two uh, two shots. Uh, I think most of my, the, the, the ideas I prefer in the film, most of them, I, I got them when I was a bit uh, stoned, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever helps, right? Well, yeah, I think it's yeah. fascinating, the notion of freeing your unconscious when you are yeah. either writing or, or filmmaking or constructing a film. And I feel like that, like filmmakers such as David Lynch, they're really good at doing that. And he credits his yeah. meditation practice with being able to tap his unconscious. Do you have any sort of practice that you go to other than smoking pot yeah. that helps you get in touch yeah. with your, your unconscious? I'm unable to to meditate. Unfortunately, I tried, but I tried like five minutes, but I I, I can't focus, and I uh, so I really need to to I don't know to, to be in a in a sort of uh, <laughs> like stone state yeah. to, to 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 yeah to free myself, <laughs> I guess. But I, I I wish I could meditate like uh, like David Lynch because he's one of my heroes, of course. Uh, it's uh, I think he's uh, the, the most uh, daring and. Uh, and uh, impressive and inspiring filmmaker alive. Oh yeah, yeah. I got his book right here on meditation. It's uh, it's a good one. Oh wow. Yeah, but so it's you- all about med- it's, uh, Yeah, I do. I actually got certified or not certified. I guess it's a certification. I went to the David Lynch Foundation and and learned how to oh. do transcendental meditation. And yeah, from an artistic perspective, man, it really it works. It's tough at first, but then it does something to your brain where I feel like my IQ went up having done it it just makes you more intuitive and less at the mercy of your irrational mind you know in a lot of ways yeah. but yeah I, I i definitely swear by it for sure yeah yeah because it's a it's a long process uh because we're surrounded by 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 rules uh screenwriters rules uh, uh directing rules and uh the, the daily life rules right uh, uh uh, are sometimes are, are enemies to to our own uh, uh, creativity. So so it's been it's been a long process <laughs> to to let my myself uh, uh, plunge into my dreams and my unconscious. Yeah, I think right. I was less less free maybe ten years ago when when I started to 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 make short films. Hmm. So what's helped you just f- free that part of yourself as you've made more films? I think I think I think it's my uh, the people I've met through uh, my, my life, uh, great people uh, with uh, with uh, uh, very very free spirits, mm-hmm. uh, very free spirited people, uh, very. Uh, um, Okay, can you say like not inhibited at all with her sexuality and uh, mm-hmm. and the, the way of life and uh, very free with, with everything and I think it's it they taught me a lot my 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 my, my friends are maybe the, the most uh, important thing in my in my life and there was the way they uh, they teach me there was the way they uh, inspire me uh, with with their art most most of them are artists. And um, but but also the, the way they, they live, the, 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 the way they behave. Mm-hmm. Uh, to me, it's a great lesson, and, and uh, I, I still I still some ideas from conversations or from uh, experiences we, we have together. Yeah, yeah, and it feels like it's so important too. As you as you were touching on before, um, living an interesting life so you can channel that into your art. 
And it seems, yeah. and and also being surrounded by other artists who are inspiring is is so critical as an artist, you know, from an inspirational perspective. I feel like a lot of directors forget to do that. You know, they're stuck screenwriting all night, all day, and forget to be around other inspiring artists. Whereas it's it's yeah. a shot in the foot because you, I mean, what's the old saying? You become the sum total or the uh, the average of the five people you spend the most amount of time with. So you have to choose your circle of friends wisely, but also make sure you're exposed to other artists who can inspire you. It seems. Yeah, so so yeah, I feel very lucky, and that's why this uh, quarantine time is very painful oh, right man. now. Easy, easy, easy. Uh, well, my, my my boyfriend is with me, so that's a, that's a great thing, and he's really creative uh, himself. That's good. Uh, but uh, but also my my other companions are films and uh, and books and music. Music is very important. Maybe even more inspiring than, than films when I'm uh, writing. Interesting. Actually. Well, speaking of music, how did you develop such a great relationship with M83? Oh, he's, uh, he's my, uh, the, the, the leader of M83 is my uh, younger brother. Oh my God, uh, that's so cool. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm very lucky. Uh, so I can uh, use him for cheap. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, the, their music, I've been listening to them for years. Their music just lends, they, that sensibility of their music lends itself so beautifully to your movies. There's some moments where the music just yes. drives such strong emotions. You know, it's, it yeah, feels yeah. like it's a perfect match. So it sounds like you, if he's your... your Sorry, I'm very proud of I'm very proud of what he did for for my films. Uh, yeah, is a is I'm a I'm a big fan of my brother's music. <laughs> I have to. <laughs> That's very cool. Well, it sounds like you both have a similar sensibility because his his music scores your movie so perfectly. So you guys must be obviously your brothers. It sounds like you must have very similar tastes and influences, but obviously in different mediums. You're in film. He's in music. So it's interesting to see that come together. It's, it makes sense that you two are brothers now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we we grew up watching the same uh, the same films, and uh, he's a, he's a bit younger than me. He's four year four years older, uh, younger than me. Uh, so I, I was kind of provoking him, uh, making him watch uh, gruesome uh, films. Uh, uh, films from Jodorowsky, uh, for instance, or uh, um, Richard Kern, uh, also. Mm-hmm. And he was super young, and he was a bit traumatized by uh, the VHS. I <laughs> <laughs> was him watch uh, as a as an evil uh, older brother, uh, but <laughs> but I, I think he, it helped him to, to to get inspired as well. Yeah, and uh, to be very creative. And to 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 plunge into nightmares in a in a way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The the music reminds me. M eighty three reminds me of childhood nightmares in a in a, like in a in a very beautiful way. You know, where you had nightmares and they were scary, but there was a beauty to them because you're a child and there's a level of innocence. And yeah, I always enjoyed nightmares as a kid. It was like a horror movie that you could star in yourself. <laughs> that felt real. Uh-huh. And I think both of us are really connected to our our own uh, childhood. Uh, we grew up in the south of France, and uh, uh, and now we are in different cities. We are, I live in Paris. He lives in uh, Los Angeles. And uh, I think we 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 uh, we have so much affection and so uh, so much love for for what we 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 lived during mm-hmm. our childhood. It was like a perfect childhood. It was like a sunny and beautiful and uh, full of love uh, childhood. And uh, I, th- I think we, we really share this nostalgia mm. uh, for, this, uh, for, for, for this time of our, of our lives. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I feel like childhood is so important from a as a director, being in touch with your childhood and who you were as a child and the influences are, are so important. So what were some of the, I mean, we talked about Giallo films and, and uh, Bava and Argento, but what were some of the other big influences of yours that you d- were drawn to as a child? Um, I, w- I, f- I think I was attracted uh, to uh, Forbidden Images, uh, forbidden films, and my 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 parents were watching films in the next uh, close to 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 our room, next to our bedrooms with my brother, and I was only listening to the to the soundtracks of the film. So I was imagining mm. uh, what the images could uh, could look like. Interesting. And I, I was, yeah, I was super excited, and uh, and, uh, and of course sometimes it was almost more almost scarier. As if I, uh, as if I was watching the actual movie. Yeah, that happened uh, with my parents in Silence of the Lambs. I heard them watching it when it came out on VHS. I wasn't allowed to watch it; I was really young. But I heard it, and it was terrifying to listen to. <laughs> but, but I think the first uh, horror films I, I started, I, I watched, were kind of bad. These were like uh, TV, TV, movie movies made for TV. Mm-hmm. Uh, by uh, Lamberto Bava, is uh, the son of uh, Mario Bava. Yeah, like demons. And, uh, like I think the, the, the English title of one of these TV films is uh, "Dinner with a Vampire," for instance. Mm. I never heard of that. Uh, it's it's I, I haven't watched it uh, since uh, since my my teenage years or my, my childhood, but uh, I think it's super bad, super. <laughs> Super low budget with uh, uh, half naked girls and uh, uh, like Z Z Z monsters and, right. and stuff. And I, I remember that I, I was super proud of and super in love with those movies, those bad movies. And I, I was starting to 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 watch them with my. I showed them to my to my cousins, for instance. And then the adults they was well, seeing that and. and they, I remember hearing that they, they, they thought it was like porn, and I, I was ashamed all of a sudden. So to me, like sexuality, porn, and horror are merged, yeah. merged in a, in, a, in a way and connected uh, each other. Uh, when I when, when I think of my first uh, impressions about about films, and I, I was I was feeling like I was uh, uh, trespassing uh, my 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 my, my parents authority in mm. a in a way watching those films so it was like a guilty pleasure yeah to watch those films like a forbidden pleasure and i was i know that my my my, my parents uh hid uh their the vhs of uh, some horror films in a uh in a box somewhere uh and i found it and i i could watch the exorcist oh wow yeah and i was maybe 10 or 11 so i was of course, like traumatized, Little but young. at the same time excited about it. So no, it was a great time, and I had a bunch of friends who were passionate about uh, genre films as well. When I was in uh, junior high, uh, so when I was twelve or thirteen, and we 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 were maybe three or four uh, teenagers uh, gathering and watching all those films together. So it was like, uh, yeah. 
it was my first parties in a way. (laughs) (laughs) That's a lot of fun. Yeah, there's something fun about watching horror movies when you're not allowed to and they're a little too intense for you. Yeah, that's that's a really a fun feeling. Well, it's funny that you mentioned how horror and sex are kind of intertwined because one of my questions was you you film very effective violence and very effective sex scenes. And I, I've heard that the techniques for doing violence are similar to the techniques in doing sex. So I'm curious as to how do you approach sex scenes and how do you approach scenes of violence? Uh, to me, to me, it's very different. Uh, horror, horror is fun. Even for 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 the actors uh, playing playing the the, the, the parts and playing as the crime scenes, uh, but I, I think uh, sex scenes is more difficult, and I, sometimes I'm a bit shy with it. Yeah. So I really have to explain in details what's going to happen in the sequence to my actors. To me, it's very important to be very clear, to be very clear about what's going to happen, uh, what kind of shots I'm going to make. Uh, what part of their bodies are going to be shown. Mm-hmm. Uh, to me, it's like a, a very moral a rule that you have to apply to, to every film that you make. Uh, so I think uh, I think the sex is, is more shy in the Knife Plus Heart than the horror sequences, actually. And, uh, and I, I, I had... I've, I've, I wish I could make a porn film one day, uh, a real porn film, and uh, I have that in mind for for a long time now. Uh, like a very sensual and sexual and emotional porn film, yeah, and surreal as well. That that would be that's one of my life goals, I, I think. Yeah, because porn uh, isn't known for like good directing or storylines or n- nice sequences porn. or anything yeah. like that. There are great points, uh, like the, the, the movies from uh, Stephen Sassadayan, for, for, for instance, uh, in the 80s, where there were great films, mixing uh, fantasies and, uh, um, and, uh, and dream sequences and sex in, mm-hmm. in a very, very uh, uh, aesthetical way, uh, very impressive. Uh, and I'm, I'm in love with a porn, a, a gay French porn that I recently restored, uh, which is called uh, uh, Equation to an Unknown. Uh, to me, these, these are great films, so almost masterpieces, uh, but they, they are exceptions, of course, yeah. because to this sport is, is, very, is very sad and boring most of the time. <laughs> uh, so so um, I hope that one day I, I, I can make this. Well, it seems real like... Book. With VOD nowadays, you can get away with anything and nobody has to worry about the MPAA nearly as much anymore. So I think it's a matter of time before just regular features have actual penetration in them and have actual scenes of porn in in, in the movie, you know, and sex scenes are actual sex scenes. I think it's a matter of time before that's more commonplace. Yeah, yeah, but it's it's, it's a very different job for the actors. Oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Um, so one of the other questions I had is there's there's so many strong visions in your movies and so many strong moods. I'm wondering, how do you collect influences? If you see something in a movie that has an effect on you or you hear a piece of music or you see an image in a magazine or, or on the Internet, do you have a collection of sorts, like any sort of director book? How do you collect the influences or do they just go into your mind and remain in your subconscious only to be brought out as you're filming? No. Um, I think when you're plunged into um, uh, 
uh, into into a plot, into a story, into some 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 characters, some specific characters uh, from from your next film, from the film you're uh, starting to write. You see the world in a different way, uh, and so the world is according is uh, according to you to your to your story uh, to what you're trying to create. So I think you can collect anything, and you, everything can be a sign and can give. For, for for your future film, uh, it can be in a book. It can be it can be a, a, a track of, of music. Uh, it can it can it can be an image in a in a, in a film, um, because you see everything uh, by 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 the prism through the prism of the new movie. Exactly. So I, I think like there's there's a magic. Uh, uh, when you're really immersed in your in your own uh, universe, that uh, that make the science happen in a in a way and uh, and reveal themselves mm. to you uh, because you, you have such faith and such uh, uh, um, yeah such faith in your in your own uh, story and characters that they they are showing signs to you everywhere. So it's it's like uh, hunting the signs. And it's uh, a very uh, exciting uh, moment when you when you're writing a screenplay. Interesting. So like, you see, but, sorry. No, but to me, the, maybe I think the, the, the music has a, the most powerful uh, uh, is the most powerful sign of uh, creation and uh, imagination. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I'm writing a movie, it's uh, it brings me the images really uh, more than anything. Interesting. So, do you have playlists that you listen to as you're writing and developing stories, or music that you return to with every movie? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I, yeah, I listen to random music. I mean, most um, uh, most of the time it's electronic music, uh, mm-hmm. ambient music. Uh, because it it helps my <laughs> it's it's a sort of meditation. It's my own meditation right. to listen to this kind of music, and uh, yeah, I make a playlist, of course, with uh, with also titles that I bump into and that I that are inspiring, and uh, sometimes they, 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 they end up being in the in the film. Yeah, those titles. Most of the time, actually, <laughs> makes sense. So your your movies are also very just visually stunning, and there are some shots that are so specific, and and, and there's there's other shots where there's you see so much happening, but the shots are never cluttered. Everything is just aesthetically beautifully balanced. Um, so I'm wondering how do you and you clearly do have very strong images of visions when you approach movies. So when it came to Knife Plus Heart, I'm curious as to how you communicated the look of the film to your DP. What was that conversation like? What did you what were the influences and how did you communicate that movie to your DP? It's a it's a very intense collaboration between my my DOP and my uh, uh, set decorator. Uh, It's like a bunch of uh, three, four or five people working uh, uh, three three months before the, the actual shooting, in a very intense way, collecting images, and um, I, th- I think I trust them a lot, and I I, I let the their ideas uh, emerge and uh, influence my, my, myself. Uh, um, it's um, it's very joyful as well, uh, but but I, I think the the most important thing is. Um, is a uh, scouting 
scouting locations mm. uh, because if you if you don't uh, shoot in a in a sound stage uh, you can't recreate everything that you have in mind right. so you have to deal with with a, with an actual location the real location and to me it's the most uh, painful part because sometimes those uh, locations that i have in mind that are kind kind of blurry because it's they don't exist they are fictional it's they are very hard to to, to chase and uh sometimes there's a there's a, there's a miracle and you you bump into like a, a location that is that is beyond your imagination and that uh gives birth to something even more exciting than what you had in mind uh when you were writing your your screenplay mm. but sometimes it's a bit deceitful so so you have to to work a lot to yeah. make it uh, flow, to make it to make it uh, magical, uh, and this this is where uh, the magic of my collaborators happen. Right, I think, and I, I really I really trust in um, in the, the in their imaginations as a, as in almost as a, as much as a, as a, as my imagination. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it sounds like there's a certain degree where you need to just let go and let the DP be the DP and not get too involved as they're doing it. You know, it's just let yeah, them. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, um, I'm very specific about about frame, about uh, about framing, and it's very good at it. So what I have in mind in terms of frame, it does it like uh, like like for, for, for in a few seconds because. It, he reads my mind, so I think I really found like my my perfect uh, uh, partner uh, as a DOP. He's, he's great. His name is Simon Bofis, and I've been working for him for uh, more than ten years now. Oh, wow. And we, we we like brothers on stage, on on stage, I mean on on the set. So so it's really it's 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 really great. Uh, but at the same time, in terms of lightnings, I think it's more free uh, because I, I don't uh, I don't have the knowledge that he has in terms of uh, of lightnings. Mm. Uh, uh, so so I'm very directive in terms of uh, framings and uh, directing and uh, uh, the kind of uh, frames that I want to have, the kind of uh, um, the kind of movements, camera movements. Mm -hmm. Everything is super precise. But in terms of lightnings, I have like I, I think I try to transmit him my ideas of uh, of lightnings through emotions. Uh, so so sometimes it's a bit yeah yeah. So sometimes it's a bit uh, hazy for for him, but he has to dig to dig into into it and to 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 to, to find the, the, the right uh, lightning. And so most of the time he's, he's right about it. So, so the lighting, so, so to communicate lighting t cues and tones, you, you communicate that through the idea of emotions to your, to your DP. It sounds yeah. like. Yeah. To me, the emotions are at the core, uh, of my, of my films. Yeah. So are the most important, are the most important thing. It seems a bit basic to say that, but, but you can really I, feel I, it in Knife Plus Heart. There are moments where the lighting is extremely emotional, and there's some beautiful lighting cues. And I, it's, it's, it makes a lot of sense to hear you say that the the lighting choices are driven by emotion instead of just. Yeah. I mean, there's some Jalla movies that are where the lighting is so stylized and it's sometimes overly stylized, and there's not much meaning behind the stylization. But in in Knife Plus Heart, there are 
really beautiful lighting moments, but they just feel potently attached to the emotion of the scene, if that makes sense. You know, it all feels very, the lighting feels very meaningful as opposed to just stylistic. So it's, it, that's really interesting to hear that the emotion is of the scene drives the lighting choices. Thank you so much. Because yeah, yeah, to me, the, 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 the lightnings and the aesthetics of a film are driven by the emotions of the characters and of the, of the story. It's, uh, I don't, I don't care of having a beautiful image for free, you know, if it yeah. doesn't mean anything. Uh, I, I can't. Sometimes I can't put a, a name on uh, what, what, what it's on, on the real meaning of, of those colors, but it's, it's an emotion. Mm. It's. Uh, it's something from from the depths of the character, uh, something that I that I feel is that I can't I can't express uh, besides uh, making a film, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> but your DOP understands you enough, so that's that sounds yeah. like it's an amazing collaboration. Cool. It is. It is. So what? Was... The same with... <laughs> Sorry. It's the same with my brother when we when he he creates a cue of uh, of music. It's uh, it's oh wow, you 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 got me. <laughs> oh wow. It's super, yeah. So yeah, what is that collaboration like with your brother? Do you describe a scene to him and then he comes up with a piece of music and then you readjust the scene so it fits the music better? Is there what comes first, the music or the scene, or is it just a conversation at first? Um. Uh, First, he reads the screenplay, uh, like uh, maybe one or two years before the actual shooting, uh, so he, he can start uh, dreaming about the, about the film. But uh, he doesn't start composing before um, before the editing process. Mm-hmm. He needs to get uh, uh, a raw footage of the sequences before starting to to compose mm-hmm. and. Um, for for my first feature film, You and the Night, it was quite an easy process, and everything came uh, in a very natural way. But for Night Plus Heart, Night Plus Heart, it was more difficult. Uh, I, wa- I was not satisfied with with the first cues he he sent me, and uh, I think he kind of lost his patience and temper, and he was I, I don't know, he was a bit angry. <laughs> <laughs> At first, because we we couldn't find the, the right musical vibe for the for the film, and I was, and to me, I was feeling really uh, helpless and, uh, and stupid not to 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 be able to communicate what I, what I really had in mind, and uh, uh, it was a painful moment for two or three weeks during the editing process. Mm. Uh, but he, he worked with a friend of uh, of his, uh, a childhood friend, actually, the, the Nicolas Fromageau is a, is, a, is a guy. Uh, with whom he started to to, to make music uh, when he was a teenager, and I, I think this um, association was really fruitful uh, during the the, the, the composition of uh, Knife Plus Heart uh, soundtrack. And uh, in fact, I think they started to to have fun. I think the the, the key thing was to have fun with uh, with this film because we had so much fun during the shooting, and I wanted to to uh, spread this idea of of fun. Well, with with this film, uh, like uh, something like uh, over uh, over the top in yeah. a, in a way, and, and I think he just had to allow uh, himself to embrace this uh, over the topness. <laughs> 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 and uh, but 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 
this over the topness is also very connected to to the emotions and to the feelings uh, once again uh, so, so 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 that's why i'm i'm very proud of what 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 he did and when he had the first uh, theme of the movie when he got it everything was super easy it went super easy because he he could find the the the, the the true vibe mm. of the, the true musical musical vibe of the of the movie, but this first color, this first vibe of music was excruciating. <laughs> to, 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 to but once you went through that excruciating process, it sounds like it was way smoother moving forward. Yeah. So yeah, you, sometimes yeah, you got to go through yeah. really difficult times to to kind of get to a point where as, with a collaborator you're simpatico. But sometimes that's a rough road to get there. It sounds. Yeah, and it's the same as a director. You know, sometimes you're on a set and uh, you don't know what you're doing here. You you so you, you don't have the, the you you can't reach the right idea to to uh, to shoot a sequence, and you just want to to be in another place, far away from this fucking set, and you just want to quit everything, and uh, you feel uh, useless. You know, yeah, it's it's a terrible it's a terrible feeling, and uh, I had this feeling on that road, like uh, on a on a few days of shooting because it was a long and difficult shooting. It was a low budget film. Uh, so sometimes I was, I was desperate. I, I couldn't find my own way to the film, but the next day I had something magical happen between two actors. And then I, uh, I, I kind of regained face uh, in the, in the movie. And that was like very, very important moments for, for me. Was there any advice for when I feel like that happens on on set with directors? Sometimes they'll get stuck and they won't know how to find the vibe or the tone of a scene. But any advice for directors for when they get stuck? Because it sounds like you experience that in Life Plus Heart. I think you just have to be honest uh, with yourself and to uh, to admit that that uh, that you're you're a bit out of ideas and uh, you you need some advice and. Uh, uh, of course, don't show it to your actors <laughs> because they're, they're in a very uh, uh, difficult and fragile moment as well. Uh, but go go see your your DOP or your or the persons you trust the most on the set and uh, and talk about it and take some time and. Uh, um, Take 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 a quick uh, break mm. uh, on, on the film and 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 just let yourself think and uh, and uh, focus and uh, and uh, yeah try something yeah. try something and even if it doesn't look like the best ideas sometimes you don't have the best idea and it won't come so you you don't don't force yourself right <laughs> there are days where it doesn't come so but. <laughs> Try to, to make something to be simple and to be to be humble and to and to be close to your actors and to to be honest with your actors. Yeah. I think it's um, because the actors are, are maybe the most important. So you have, you have the shows. The most important people on the in the show. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 So really curious as to how your career in filmmaking began. You did a number of shorts and then you did you and the night. And now here we have knife plus heart. How did you get your first film off the ground? What was that process like to break in, so to speak? Um, I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's a, it was a long process. I, um, I used to be a film critic uh, until I made my, my first feature film. So I was a, uh, uh making 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 so living my life uh 
making some money with with film critic, uh, but I was not happy with it because I, I really wanted to make to make films since I was a teenager. Um, so I was about to turn thirty, I think, and I told myself, "You have to make your first short film now, or, or it won't never happen. Uh, it will never happen." So I. I um, I saved some money. Uh, I decided to, to quit my job as a as a as a. I had a good job as a, as a film critic, and I decided to get freelance. Uh, but it was risky, and I I, I I think I saved like something like four four thousand euros at the time, uh, and I made my my first short film, which was a, a single shot. Uh, in 35 uh, millimeter, and yeah, I've, I've, I just I just needed to to make something simple, but to uh, to embrace <laughs> uh, filmmaking. Yeah. At one point, I was I was uh, getting older, and I, I was um, I was scared to to not being able to to do it any anyway because. Nobody. I mean, I, I grew up in a, in a family, uh, in a great family, but we, which has nothing to do with with art. So I had no connections at all. And uh, and um, the, the the only things I could uh, count on was uh, was my hunger of films. Yeah. And uh, my my, my uh, the love I had for, for for images and for certain filmmakers. And uh, I think I trust this um, this love enough to 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 dare <laughs> shooting my my my, my first uh, short film. And then the, the short film was uh, the first this short short film. Uh, it was called uh, By the Kiss. Uh, it was shot almost like uh, 15 years ago. And um, yeah, it was kind of successful. It went to uh, Directors Fortnite in Cannes. So I was encouraged in a way to, to, to make a second short film. And then you start thinking about um, a future film and uh, everything is a long process, especially uh, financially, because uh, when, I, when, I, when I had to pitch uh, You and the Night, for instance, which is about an orgy with, uh, with uh, seven different people uh, with strange names and uh, it was a, it was a, a, a chore. <laughs> no, no, nobody could trust this film. It was like, uh, what, what is, what is this bullshit? You know. <laughs> so I had to, 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 to fight and to, uh, uh, yeah, to fight during like, uh, I think three or four years to, 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 to get some, uh, some funds to make this film, and it was a painful time, and it's very, very difficult to to keep the face uh, when you're looking for some money and you, you can find it. It's uh, you just, you, you, you lose, you lose the, the, the face you have in your, in yourself, in your film, in everything around. And it's, uh, it's in this moment that you, you really have to, to be the most creative, I think. And, the, the, and the, I think I was a bit desperate and I met some other short films to, 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 um, to keep the energy flowing in a, in a way. And then when I, I started again to make short films, we, get, we got the, some funds for making my, my, my first feature. So I think it's by working, by making some cheap, cheap um, short films with no budget, uh, uh, working with people, with creative people, that the good news happen and that you... I, mean, I don't know, I think I was lucky as well, of course. 
but I think you, you always have to keep the creativity alive. And this is what I, I try to do even in the most uh, bleak moments <laughs> of my life. Right. You just have to keep creating, right? Yes, 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 yes. That's 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 great advice because I feel like a lot of directors they get when they're getting projects off the ground it's easy to have that dark night of the soul right where you're nothing's working out but it sounds like what got you through this process when you were pitching movies was to keep making other shorts and to keep creating and just keep that director's blade sharpened so to speak yeah or shorts or music videos or uh, anything that that keeps you creative. Otherwise, you get glued in this, uh, this bleakness of uh, fundings, which is the most terrible thing you can, you can uh, uh, live as a filmmaker or as a creator. Yeah. So one other question about um, heart pl- um, Knife Plus Heart. So, I mean, a horror obviously serves so as, as social commentary in a lot of ways. Was there any sort of social commentary that you wanted to get across in Knife Plus Heart? Um, yeah, 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 of course. Uh, but, but to me, it came in a very natural way because yeah. I, I'm surrounded by, by queer people. Uh, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I, I'm in love with uh, those girls and guys from the margins. And, uh, and to me, the, the film is a tribute to these margins. Mm. So it's, of course, it's a social commentary. It's, a, it's even like a political commentary to me. But it, it came in a very natural way. I didn't. I didn't intend to 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 claim uh, something uh, out of the film to claim something very political. It was not the idea. It's uh, it's it's in the core, in the flesh of the film. Yeah. Uh, um, it's uh, of course I thought of it while writing with my co-writer Cristiano Mangione. We we thought of it, but the, the, the most uh, important thing to to us was to make the the the, the plot and the story. Uh, efficient and emotional uh, and the, 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 all the social and co- and political commentaries is it came uh, very, in a very natural way yeah it seems because like it's, our it's why very, it's it's part of our environment uh, so we we just had to to be faithful to to the feelings and to the um, to the lives of uh, of the people we are surrounded by and this is a love tribute to those people yeah, and it sounds like when it comes to, to horror and social commentary, if you start with an agenda, like I wanted this political message or this social message, then the movie just kind of feels too forced. Whereas in your case, it sounds like just these themes naturally occurred as you were writing the movie because they're yeah. natural, they're in you. But uh, of course, as a killer, as a metaphor of uh, AIDS yeah. coming up in the end of the 70s, uh, it was uh, obviously on our, on our mind, but... Uh, but I don't know. We don't. We didn't spend much time on it. It was. I, I, we knew that it. Uh, it was. It was there. But uh, the film is not about it. It's. I think it's. It's all about the, 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 the emotions and the path of our, the strange path of our characters. Yeah, and sort of a nerdy question. I loved the touch of the bird in the movie. So I'm wondering what was the symbolic significance of the bird. And, and if you don't want to tell me, that's okay. If it's up for interpretation, I understand. <laughs> no, I, I don't. I think I, I bumped into this medieval medieval um, legend about uh, a bird uh, uh, 
helping like uh, diseased people coming back to life. Uh, and I was fascinated by this legend. So, so it, like, like it, it, it came. Uh, I think it was like um, one of the first things I, I thought about for for this film. And uh, I had this legend in mind uh, when I created the, the character of the killer. And uh, when I, when I started pitching the film to my co-writer, uh, because he, he went on board like maybe um, like a, a few weeks after I started. Uh, thinking about the, the, the plot of the film, uh, yeah, he, he loved the, 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 the idea, and we started to develop it into the, the rest of the film. But uh, I liked this um, this symbol of the of a bird as a as a companion, as a killer, as a protector, but also as a as a threat uh, for 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 as a doomed uh, animal. Right. Uh, I don't know. There's something very ambivalent in this uh, in this bird, which I which I really like, because the, the killer is ambivalent as well. Is he used to be like a lover? He used to be some someone who who, who loved and was in love, and he he was uh, he was doomed. Yeah. Uh, and he had this evil figure. So yeah, I love this uh, ambivalence of uh, this ambivalence of characters. Interesting. That's really interesting. So last um, few questions. When it comes to filmmaking and directing, there's a lot of books on the topic and resources. So it's it's a flooded market. And there's a lot of them that are not that good. But there are some really good books on directing and, and books on writing. Were there any books or resources that were really helpful to you, either from a career perspective or a creative perspective? As a, as a screenwriter or filmmaker? Yeah, in any in any way, as far as your, your career is concerned as a director. No, I mean, uh, the only things, uh, I, I read uh, essays, I read novels, but I've never read a book about uh, uh, filmmaking. I mean, yes, like old books from uh, from old uh, filmmakers and great filmmakers like uh, Claude Chabrol, for instance, or or film theoricians like, uh, uh, like uh, Bazin. Yeah. Uh, for, 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 for instance, that, that are like classical books. But I, I'm not sure it helped me a lot for my <laughs> for for my directing, um, and I I don't have I don't trust a lot of these uh, books about uh, screenwriting yeah. and stuff. Uh, I don't know. Most of the time, it's from people that never <laughs> made films, right. or so it's a bit. I don't know. That's a bit of a scam to me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, There's a lot of bullshit in the sure market. I'm, uh, I'm not sure. I have a the best method of uh, screenwriting and uh, but uh, I think you have to trust your character and to, to let yourself follow your your characters uh, and fall in love with them and uh, and um, and trust them and trust their feelings and trust uh, their, their strange uh, habits mm-hmm. it's uh, and letting yourself be surprised by your own characters uh, and uh, not being bored by them. It's to me, it's the key of, of, of writing a, a screenplay and making a film. Mm. It's just letting your characters be your characters and observing them as opposed to overly structuring them and writing them. Exactly. Yeah. I, I mean, this idea of uh, narrative uh, arcs and uh, uh, characters arcs, they have to come naturally because right. you like, like, you follow something, someone in in the street, or during days and days, and you, you just have to be surprised by, by what he does. Uh, otherwise, you you're not gonna keep following him or her. Yeah. So it's 
it's it's a bit like being a stalker, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So um, obviously with this quarantine time, you've had a lot of downtime. Do you come across any recent good movies or books or any recommended watches or shows or anything like that? Uh, yes, uh, sure. What, 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 what should I am? Um... I plunged into uh, Ozu, uh, Ozu's films. It seemed to be very far away from Nightflow's <laughs> heart. But uh, uh, yeah, I watched two, two beautiful uh, Ozu's films, and I'm, uh, I'm, uh, I think I'm, I'm going to keep watching Ozu's films. It's, it's great. Uh, I didn't know his, uh, his films uh, so, so, so much, so it's a What's great his discovery name? for me. Ozu? Uh, yeah, 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 Yasuhiro uh, Ozu, yes, uh, the, the Japanese filmmaker. Oh, okay. O O Z O Z U. Yeah. Okay. Uh, from the the forties to the to the sixties, um, and um, I rewatched uh, Basket Case a few a few days ago with my with my boyfriend, which nice. is always a treat. <laughs> <laughs> that movie is a treat. It's such a cheap uh, budget and uh, such a, an inventive and funny film. It's uh, it's it's always surprising. Yeah, it's, always it's such good grimy New York too. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, this is a, a, a New York I wish I, I could know. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's very different right now. Uh, but uh, and uh, well, 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 yeah, I watched. Um, this is most of them are rewatched, but um, I watched again uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre number two. <laughs> I haven't seen that one in a long uh, time. I keep meaning to rewatch it again. It's a it's a it's a fun ride too. I mean, the, 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 the first half of the film is really crazy, absurd. It's a, it's like he turned the horror of his first uh, masterpiece into a, a fun ride, into mm -hmm. an absurd ride, to something like. A, uh completely ridiculous right in a in a way and it it turned it into into comedy because he couldn't go further no. with his first film i mean it's, it's such an absolute masterpiece well, yeah what, what can you do you have to shift directions <laughs> if he tried to do a, a, a straight sequel it would have fallen flat because you can't recreate it, it, the scariness of that first movie yeah i think it tried to recreate this scary scariness in uh um, oh, I, I only have the French title in mind. Uh, the film with the crocodile. What, what, what's what's oh, the name? Eaten Alive uh, is what they call it in the, in, in the States. Eaten Alive, yes, exactly. Which I love. Which to me, it's like a, a Texas Chainsaw Massacre shot in a soundstage. Oh, yeah. You know, in a very arti artificial lightnings. And uh, so um, I, I, I discovered this film like three or four years ago, and I was blown away. I, I, I really love it. Of course, it doesn't deliver as much as uh, as Chenzo, but uh, but it's uh, I think it's a overlooked uh, masterpiece. It's uh, a good one. I got the Arrow. I got the Arrow Blu-ray. It's not a masterpiece, but it's yeah. Me too. I have the, the Arrow Blu-ray, and it's it's very surprising uh, film. I, I think. Yeah, it's more of that really gritty, frightening, almost nihilistic world that Toby Hooper created in Texas Chainsaw. The tone and the feeling of it, and you can't trust anybody or anything. That real, just paranoid dread is there, you know, in a Southern fried kind of a way. Yeah, it's it's. Yeah. I don't hear enough people talking about it. It's great, and then there's a big alligator that. They're feeding people too. I mean, it's it's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> you're making me want to rewatch it. <laughs> oh, great, great! I'm happy. <laughs>
Well, cool. Jan, this was, this was such a pleasure. Thank you so much. Any, uh, before we wrap up, any parting advice for aspiring filmmakers out there? Uh, just free, free, free yourself and, uh, and dream and keep dreaming. <laughs> That's all. That's great advice. Perfect. Well, thank you again. This was a real pleasure. Bye. Thank you so much, Nick. Bye. All right. Big thanks to Jan for being with us here today. He is such a fascinating and infectiously passionate visionary. It was really inspiring to talk to him, and um, I'm really excited to see whatever he does next. Anyway, here, as always, are some key takeaways from this conversation with Jan Gonzalez. Number one, don't do anything for free. Knife Plus Heart is just saturated with colored lighting, elaborately beautiful imagery, perfectly framed shots, and unadulterated gorgeousness. But it all serves the story. Jan talked about how he arrived at the look of the film with his DP by describing the moods he wanted to create in each scene. In many cases, the colorfully lit shots were reflective of the emotion of the scenes that were taking place, so it all coalesced even better into a mood that served the story. There's a world of difference between style for style's sake and a production design that's purposeful and in sync with the rest of the movie. Having elements in your movie that look pretty but don't have a deeper meaning might increase your perceived production value but they'll ultimately come across as disjointed to the viewer. Instead, ensure that there's meaning behind everything on screen, from costume design to the lighting cues and locations. When this is done right, there's kind of a coherent synchronicity that occurs when all of these elements work together to form a cohesive whole, which ultimately makes for highly immersive and unforgettable cinema. Number two, tap your own unconscious. Buckle up because we're getting metaphysical. There are certain rare directors who are able to tap their own unconscious and deliver images, moods, and tones on screen that are undeniably hypnotic. David Lynch, Stanley Kubrick, and Federico Fellini are prime examples of this, and so is Jan. In the work of these artists, there are moments that narratively may not make a whole lot of sense on paper, but when they're executed right, they tap into something beyond your conscious awareness as a viewer, causing this kind of mysteriously strong resonance. In order to do this as a director, you have to really be in touch with your own unconscious. The unconscious is kind of a difficult concept to articulate, but as a director, it largely comes down to paying attention to all of the things that you are naturally drawn to and perceive and conveying these perceptions on screen. You can be a great writer-director who relies strictly on her intellect to make a great movie, but you can always go deeper. Tapping this creative intuition is the name of the game, and it requires you to transcend your immediate conscious logic to create work that defies convention and reflects your own individual sensibility. David Lynch refers to this as catching the big fish in reference to great ideas. He goes on to say that small fish, smaller ideas, can be caught at the surface, which is the conscious mind. But to get to the big fish, the big, powerful, deeply resonant ideas, you have to go deeper into your unconscious. A lot of brilliant creators have talked about how they have no idea where their best ideas come from. This is the unconscious at work. Even Stephen King says that it's all the work of the muse. So whether it's the muse, 
your unconscious, whatever you want to call it, find a way to get in touch with yours, whether it's through transcendental meditations, certain substances, or immersing yourself in everything that you're naturally drawn to. It's important as an artist to be in touch with all of this and find ways to dive beyond the surface of your conscious mind. If you want to learn more about any of this, definitely check out Catching the Big Fish by David Lynch. Number three, famous collaborations are a hard road, but a road very worth traveling down. Jan spoke about two very important collaborations he had making Knife Plus Heart. One was with his DP, and the other was with his brother, Anthony Gonzalez, the front man of M83. In both cases, Jan had some very painstaking back and forth with both the music and the look of the film in order to get them where he wanted them. But despite the time commitment and the difficulty, he stuck to his vision and he trusted the process, and as a result, developed a great working relationship with both of these people, who now are intimately acquainted with his cinematic style and sensibility. This is what you want. Collaborators who can get into your head and know what you want without you even saying it. This is the highly coveted shorthand that a lot of directors talk about with their key collaborators. Getting to this point can be a hard and long process, and you may not be able to get there with the first person you work with, but once you go through the pains of it, you'll likely have a collaborator for life who will know your taste, who will know your style, and you'll develop this very intimate creative shorthand with each other. Your collaborators are the people responsible for bringing your vision to life. It's imperative that you understand each other. So invest in those relationships and treat them like gold. Anyway, guys, thank you as always for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, why not share it with your friends and family on social media? Don't forget to follow the show on Instagram at I'm Nick Taylor. That's I am Nick Taylor. And on Twitter at the same handle. Thanks again for listening to the Nick Taylor Horror Show. 